Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Ian Hart. Ian has been in sports and fitness for his entire life. He has worked professionally in the health and fitness industry for more than 14 years. He's a best-selling author of Healing Hacks and the creator and owner of EarthFit Training Systems, designed to transform people to their optimal health and fitness level in the safest, fastest, and most effective manner. He's also the creator of Back Pain Relief for Life, an internationally successful back pain relief program which has been sold in over 120 countries and co-founder of My Back Pain Coach. Maybe you can also give me some tips. And he is the owner of a treehouse in a world-famous treehouse community called Finca. Finca? You have to like... Finca. Yeah. Bella Vista in Costa Rica, where he hosts transformational Wim Hof Method retreats as a Wim Hof Method instructor. First of all, did anybody ever told you you look a bit like Tarzan? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, now I do. My hair just keeps growing. And you know why it's growing? It's because I don't want to go get my hair cut here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to go and like figure out, do I have to wear a mask? Do I like, uh, you know, it's just uh, the whole craziness of the pandemic. You just put your hair in front of your mouth and say like, this is my hair mask. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering when someone who seems to be in tune with his body and nature, how do you look at everything that's going on? When we look at natural remedies, the power of our body, power of our immune system, and then we're almost like a year into the COVID crisis. How do you look at it as someone who has a holistic approach to healing? Well, a lot of it comes down to belief. One of the worst things that we can do is implant this fear of the unseen virus based on a lot of lies and fabrication right? And manipulation of numbers and statistics. And there's a reason why there's a manipulation of these numbers and statistics to create hysteria. And and there's a bigger picture. And if people believe and have fear, then your immune system is not going to function well, right? So fear actually lowers your immune system. Right. When you go into fight or flight, your immune system doesn't work at optimal levels Mm -hmm. because you're now in a sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight. Right. It's like, okay, we're going to put that down a little bit while you try to run or flee or, or get to where you need to go. And so people who are controlled more by the media and the fear pumping are going to be more susceptible to the virus. The people who are freaked out about other people wearing masks are going to be more susceptible to the virus. And I'm not saying that the virus isn't real. There could be, you know, they could have released some bioweapon, which Mm. is potential, is is the possibility. But if that's the case, feeding into the fear is only going to make things worse. It's only going to make matters worse. And the media is really the one that's controlling all that. Because when you look at the real statistics, you find out that this is just people above 70 are the ones that are getting hit the hardest. But Mm -hmm. this is the rate is just like the typical flu. So people having faith in their immune system, you know, we know this is done verified studies that the placebo effect is more powerful than the medication. So if you believe 
you're healthy and strong and you, you believe your body's strong and healthy and it's going to fight off whatever it needs to, you're going to produce the chemicals that is necessary for your body to fight it off. Or at least you're going to fare better than somebody who's living in fear. Yeah, you often see that how you approach a situation will hugely influence what the end result will be. So if you're more optimistic or you go to a date and think like, oh, let's have fun. Or so you'll probably like me. And you go to a date and think like, oh my God, you know, I'm a loser. I can understand why a girl like that wants to meet me. It will hugely influence the outcome of what you do. So it's yeah. not law of attraction. Just think everything away and your cancer will disappear. Right. But your way of approaching things has a very big impact on what actually will happen. And what you said also about the, no matter what your stance is about the, the corona, they're not doing anything to build up the immune system, which is what creates a good immune system. Movement, healthy food, social mm -hmm. contact. If you read the book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by Robert Sapolsky, he also says like, you know, so lack of social contact is one of the biggest stressors ever. So we have three big stresses here, lack of movement, lack of healthy food with all the takeaway well, ordering and the lack of social contact that on the one hand, you could be, you know, taking measures with, with a big question mark, but then consistently for such a long time, making your own citizens sicker, more stressful and reducing their immune system instead of building it up. Yeah. And these, these measures are actually torture tactics. They're actually like proven torture tactics. Like one, the, the first thing you do is isolate somebody. The Biederman or Biderman report. People can look it up. The Biderman chart. Of, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and these are like the CIA uses them. A prison system uses them. Like what do they do when an inmate acts bad? They isolate them because, and it's, and you, you listen to any inmate or ask any inmate about going into the hole and they'll tell you it's like the worst possible thing that you can do. It's like, living in a cell by yourself because we are we're connected and so they've purposely disconnected us so there's that disconnection and then fear and confusion fear and confusion are the first two things for any war you ask any military specialist that's what they would do when they will go into any country create con confusion and fear and when they have confusion and fear that's when you can start to take over and you can win the war we touched on it a bit before, just before the podcast, and it's a documentary that I would advise people to check out back when the BBC still had uh, quality <laughs> in their reporting. <laughs> it's called The Sensory of Self, and it's about, the first thing is about Edward Bernays. And Edward Bernays is the nephew of Freud, and yeah. he's the grandfather of propaganda. He literally wrote a book called Propaganda. And he noticed that people are much more driven by irrational, unconscious, sometimes subconscious forces than we think. And he kind of used it to influence public opinion, to influence yeah. consumerism and to influence society and elections and these things. So this is not a conspiracy thing. You can look this up, how this was being used, psychology was being used. Mm -hmm. MK Ultra, where they did like tests in the 60s on people to see how they would react to fear, mm -hmm. uh, brainwashing, etc. So, Yeah, Edward Bernays, the, the interesting thing about it is they, they realized that propaganda had a negative connotation. So he actually created public relations. So the, the term PR comes from propaganda. And when someone says, oh, it's PR, it's public relations, it's really about shifting perception. And what we were talking about before is that your perception and your belief system 
actually changes matter to affect reality. Mm -hmm. So this is the, the, the secret that most people don't understand is your perception of reality shifts matter. It actually changes things and things come into your life and leave your life based on your perception and reality because it affects your actions and everything else. And so Edward Bernays learned how to shift perception. So like one example was mm -hmm. how did he get all women smoking in America? It was like a big event. I can't remember if it was a march for something or a parade. And they made sure that they had all these women dressed up. I think they looked pretty dressed up pretty nicely. They were all smoking cigarettes all together, walking down the street and they took video of it. And then they display that all over the TV in America. And guess what? All the women are smoking the next generation or even that few years following. So and they linked it with the Statue of Liberty with the torch, you know, the right. woman is lighting the torch. It's a symbol of freedom, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So all these little details that are subconscious and it's important for people to know that, and, and it's hard for a lot of people to understand this. No one buys anything based on logic. <laughs> it's all based on emotion. And once they can trigger those emotional aspects, people will make wildly illogical decisions and you'll try to explain it to them. And it doesn't matter if the emotions are there and the emotions are triggered, it will happen. And this is a science. People don't realize like this is a specific science. And when you study marketing mm -hmm. and selling that you can get into somebody's head when somebody's so good, you can answer all the questions that'll have them put their guard down so that they are open to the suggestion and they're more likely to take action and getting people to take action. So the governments and the media are masters at this. They've been studying this since the Nazi scientists. It's a science that people need to really understand to have their guard up when they put their guard down. Yeah, because even when you look at World War II, how was Hitler able to get power? It was mostly also the propaganda, divide and conquer polarization. Even at the height of his power, he had 37% of the votes. I think even the socialists and communists combined still had more votes than him. Not sure, but I think it was pretty close. So then you already see how powerful it is. And with the means now that we have of social media, the tracking, the tracing, the data we have on people, check the book, The Age of Subsistence Capitalism, check the documentary, Social Dilemma on Netflix. You see yep. how much data they have to peddle public opinion to use perception to steer a society, a company, a person a certain way. Yeah. Now you, you mentioned MKUltra and that's an important aspect to go over because MKUltra was a program that was used to create like the perfect spy, I think, mm -hmm. so that they could split somebody's personality And that personality would be triggered and that would have all the spy information or that person would be an assassin or whatever it is. And this is, you know, like we see Jason Bourne's movies, but this is real life stuff. They've become so good at it that they're using these techniques on the masses. And so I'll, I'll go back into it. So MKUltra was a program by the CIA. Mm -hmm. It was taken from the Nazi scientists. And basically what they would do is they'd traumatize somebody to split their personality. And so you can split somebody's personality. And once they go into this personality, they are now 
easily suggestible and programmable. Mm. And so you can actually program that part of the mind and people can have multiple personalities. I've, I've seen people interviewed that said they had it's fractured 2,200 times or some of these people that are in the program, they have 30 different personalities that can be triggered, triggered from anything from a sex slave to an assassin to um, just a regular, you know, average mom. So they are doing this on a massive scale. And the, the, the way that it's done is you traumatize the person, you put so much trauma into them mm-hmm. that when someone goes into fear, we just talked about fear, you go into the fight or flight mode. And when you can't fight, flee, or freeze, your consciousness almost leaves its body. Mm. And when that happens, you are now open to creating another personality. And so then they'll program that personality with the belief systems, the training. Someone could be a super soldier that knows how to kill people with their bare hands and knives. And when they go back into the person that they were originally were, they'd have no understanding of how to work with knives and Kung Fu or whatever martial arts until they're triggered into that person that was taught it, if that makes sense. So it's literally like Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne says like, I know how to, I know I can run from here to there in this time. I know that guy, how he carries himself. I don't know how I know these things. So they're using that on the masses through things like the virus. The first time we saw it, or I saw it on a massive scale, and I I was literally in New York City, was when, during 9-11. And so 9-11 was massive trauma to the whole country and, and the world. And that's when they started programming everybody through the media. So the trauma came, and we know it's trauma because everybody knows where they were, when they were when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. So the emotions were extremely high. And you remember the higher the emotions, the better your memory is. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, everybody tunes in and then they go into this hypnotic state because you're in trauma. And then you watch the TV and it's just the repetition of Osama bin Laden, terrorist attack, Osama bin Laden, terrorist attack, Osama bin Laden, terrorist attack, Osama. And they just repeat over and over and over again until it goes into another compartment of the brain that is almost impossible for the person to believe something else. Yeah, it's almost like there's so much tension for you to always figure out if you're right or wrong and you're doubting, let me take that over from you. Like, let it just be this way so all attention and cognitive dissonance goes away. When someone says a different story outside of that frame of reference, you freak out because... You say like, oh yeah, the government was partially involved. And they, what, what are you talking about? It was Osama bin Laden. And that's where you see the emotion because deep down inside, you might know that there's a truth, but you've been told something and there it triggers you because- Yeah, you backwards rationalize. People think that you can also read about this in the book um, by Jonathan Haidt, The Righteous Mind, that people first you know, have a kind of- emotional disposition and then they look for evidence that supports it or they have an emotion and then they backwards rationalize it like yeah you know that makes sense and we're also social creatures i'm delving a lot into what makes ordinary men do cruel things and you have the book ordinary men police battalion 101 Mm -hmm. that was a police battalion in like poland 
And why did they do those things? Because they didn't want to be left out of the group because everybody else was doing it. You have the bystander effect. You have these stories where a woman, this is not going to be the happiest podcast ever, by the way. Uh, (laughs) You're going to have a woman that was like being stabbed in an apartment and everybody there was hearing it, you know, and nobody was doing anything. And then the guy came back and then they stabbed her uh, again. And then they asked the people like, why didn't you do anything? And he said like, yeah, if it really was important, someone would have done something. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody knows it's wrong, but because nobody is doing something, it prevents them from doing something, you know, and anonymity of numbers, big bigness of numbers, not knowing that they could provide the change by just being different and then just doing what everybody else does. Yeah. And all it takes is that one person to stand up and say, hey, that's wrong. And then all of a sudden, like more people will jump in. You have this ash experiment where you have like these lines and you have only certain lines that are equally long. And they had all these informants in the room and all the informants say like, yeah, this line is as long as this line, which clearly isn't the case because this line is so much bigger. But then you see only like, I don't know, like 10% or very low percentage still choosing the right correlation between the lines. And everybody else was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also see it. I also see it. It's like the the emperor new clothes, right? That's why children have to be brainwashed so young because they speak their mind, you know, then it's so innocent and untainted. Like, I think that emperor is naked, you know, like, no, 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 no. Everybody who doesn't see the clothes is stupid. Yep. (laughs) That's what we're seeing happen right now. That's the scary part is we have adults. This is actually interesting because... I connected with this guy on Instagram. He he like posted something and he was talking about communism and mm-hmm. basically how he comes from communism. And now he lives in Brooklyn. And for the last probably seven, eight years, every time I meet somebody from the Eastern Bloc, I would ask them, what do you think about America? Like, what do you think? And they're unequivocally, every single one of them says, oh man, everybody here is so naive. Like they don't see what's coming. They don't see mm-hmm. like, what's happening. And I would, I would be like, Oh, at least these people can see it because they've been a part of it. And they say like, Oh my God, the news is like, it's a, it's amazing. They're programming everybody, the brainwashing. You try to warn people and tell people this and they, they can't believe it. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm telling them for months what's going to happen or for years for that matter, like, Hey, this is the plan of what's going to happen in the U S First time I told my parents that, which is why I built a place down in Costa Rica off the grid, they thought I was crazy. I'm not a genius. I just Mm -hmm. don't watch the news and I connect the dots on all these real journalists that are really doing the story. And Mm -hmm. plus, I'm a little bit intuitive, so I pick up all of these things. I would tell people what the plan is and what's coming. And everybody thinks you're crazy and no one believes you. And then when it comes and it's happening, And you say, like, this was the plan. This is what I was saying. This is what people have been warning. Like, oh, no, no, it's the virus. It's the virus that it's... And and that's crazy, right? My reasoning is still the same as like a year and a half ago, which which is, you know, yeah, you have a heavy flu season in Northern Hemisphere between uh, November and March. If you're sick and you have symptoms, you know, you're going to stay home. Uh, Asymptomatic spread of the flu in the past was very rare. So masks, they have almost zero effect only in a very uh, small room and in a hospital. 
And in the beginning, nobody had to wear masks. And everybody thought, like, look at these crazy Asians wearing masks in their car. And then three months later, they were the same people. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. And then I'm the weird guy. Like, I'm still thinking the same. <laughs> it's like six months ago, you, you completely, like, shifted. And now it's the weird thing instead of the, you know, the normal thing to do or how to approach it. So that's just weird how something that they also found completely crazy then they do it and then suddenly they shift like, yeah, 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 so you're basically saying that you were crazy yourself like three months ago for condoning of running around without a mask. It's, it's, it's crazy how fast people, their perception can just shift and they just shift their cognitive view of the situation. Yep. All through propaganda or PR or selling. And people don't understand how clever the powers that be are. So for example... The conversation about masks and saying like, oh, you don't need to wear masks was a way for them to get your guard down. Mm -hmm. So when Fauci came out and said, oh, you know, you don't need to wear masks. You don't need to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's saying we don't need to wear masks. And now all of a sudden your guard's down. And then it's like, oh, the new evidence came out. And yes, you do need to wear masks, even though there is no real evidence besides them telling you that you need to wear masks. Mm -hmm. And then the TV tells you repetitively, like, yes, masks will, it will help stop the spread and it will do this and it will do that. You go to the store, for example, the CDC downgraded this to no longer being a pandemic Mm -hmm. eight, eight months ago, I think it was. If you tell somebody that the CDC downgraded this and it's no longer a pandemic, just look at their responses. People that wear masks, look at their responses. Uh, oh, you can believe whatever you want to believe. Like, no, no, it's on the CDC website. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you want to believe the conspiracy theories, go ahead and believe it. It's like, no, it's on the CDC website. Mm-hmm. And they can't, they can't even understand what you're saying. It's a scary thing. Very- yeah, I see a big uh, uh, link between uh, cults and the religious aspects of just the Vatican, the dogma, the beliefs, the high priests of, uh, you know, the scientists who are just preaching the Corona gospel, let's say not gospel, not the good news, but let's say the bad news. These right. preachers, these, these fear prophets, which are like the, how I call them, the prostitutes. And then the symbolism all the time, you know. A friend of mine, John Cooper, talked about uh, the vaccination as the baptism. Mm-hmm. So all of this way of just treating it because people, yeah, belief is very important. And another thing that I also realized, because I studied sociology and social psychology is immensely interesting. You have the, the trolley problem, probably also know it. You have like people on a, a train rail and if they don't sh- hit a switch, then three people will, will get killed. And if they hit the switch, one person oh, yeah. gets killed. So they could save lives by hitting the switch, right? Because if they don't do anything, then a lot more people get killed than when they hit the switch. But for people to personally be responsible for killing lives, even though it's vastly less Mm -hmm. than doing nothing, they still will say like, yeah, we'll do it. But in reality, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. So it's the same thing now with the measures with all the cancer and all the heart diseases, lifestyle diseases, which, which is the true pandemic. People don't want to pull the switch to say like, yes, unfortunately, some elderly people with underlying illnesses, they're more prone. Let's protect them as much as possible. But probably they will die a bit more than normal. But when we take a look at how much other illnesses that we have, side effects, depression, suicide, 
unhealthy foods, vascular diseases, cancer not being tracked and traced. If you want to track and trace something, cancer, uh, yeah. screenings that are not being done. Yeah, we, we're talking about millions of lives. So that is also, again, like not, not wanting to hit that switch or have that discussion because as soon as you touch it, like, oh, you're killing lives, right? But even when you do nothing, you're killing lives and killing livelihoods. You're not only saving years from an 82-year-old and maybe two years of their life that you take away. Mm -hmm. You're killing generations, the future, 50, 60, 70 years. So not only look at life saves, but also at what the life looks like of humanity, of the current generation of these children with masks playing at the playground. That should also be not the only thing, but part of the equation. People are not willing to have that discussion because it hits these fundamental themes, almost that Salomon judgment, you know, right. <laughs> that they're afraid to touch. But if you're responsible, if you're a good leader, you should have a broad perspective about this. Absolutely. Talking about cult stuff, this is a cult. Like a cult is perpetuating all of this. They are perpetuating these rituals and they're pushing it on the people. This is, this is cult mentality. And yeah, the vaccine that you brought up is, is definitely, it's a cult mentality. The vaccination thing blows my mind because there's no testing. There's no extensive testing and people are just mm -hmm. willing to line up and take the shot. That's just straight belief and dogma and there's no science. And they say that's the contra contradiction. It's all about the science. You know what I'm saying? Like there is no science to prove it, but it's all about the science. And if you tell somebody, well, look at the science, the real science, or look at reality, which is our kids healthier, right? No, they're 10 times less healthy and they have way more problems that are direct linked of symptoms of vaccines. We got ADHD, we've got autism, we've got speech impediments, we've got speech delays, we've got a whole host of different issues, cerebral palsy, right? And the infancy death rate has increased and is very high in the U.S. now. If people want to take it, I'm, I'm for personal responsibility and having people have the right for self-determination. But I'm just wondering, my stance is not different than so many years ago. If you want to take a vaccine, A, you should test it a lot, I think, and have long-term consequences, screenings. But you don't do that to a healthy population. Normally, they get healthy by the immune system. They develop antibodies. And that is how we've done it for centuries. So I'm not the weird one who's like changing my opinion. If this would be a killer virus, I would have to know a lot of acquaintances that died from it. When I ask that question to people, hey, how many people do you know? Below 80, I even say, not even 70, below, below 80 and or with no underlying illnesses. They answer zero once in a while, one, and very yeah. rarely two. And this is the devastating killer virus. Everybody yeah. should know people who died from it. And if it's such a magnitude of severity, so if this would be like the Black Plague and we had to like, hey, do it quickly because else have the population died, okay, then the urgency is there. But when I look at the numbers and the, the scope and the severity, yeah. why the hell would we change our protocol of how we've been treating people with vaccines or solving Ha, you know, between brackets, pandemics, when none of the evidence suggests that we should now do it completely different than in the past. So I didn't change, in my opinion. Seems that the rhetoric around it has completely changed. 
I have to do something to keep you healthy. And this is directly linked back yeah. to what you were talking about, uh, about your immune system, right? So you're talking about heart disease. Heart disease is one of the, the ma major killers, right? Arterial sclerosis. No one wants to talk about that, right? We're all personally responsible for our own health. So if I have to wear a mask for you, why can't you eat healthy for me? Mm -hmm. And this is what I ask people all the time because I'm, I've been a coach. I've been in health and fitness for 15 years. That's what I do for a living. And people pay to ask, like, what can I do to be healthy? And the general population, they don't care about their health for the most part. Either they don't know or they really don't care. They're actually subconsciously killing themselves, which is another programming that has been input in a lot of people's mm -hmm. minds. So the subconscious programming is for self-destruction of your, your own body and mind, which is why you see people just, if the government cared, they would actually regulate what everybody, like, okay, so the government's regulating masks and social distancing. Why well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say regulate. I would say they would stimulate that, you know, people who have a healthy lifestyle or healthy food that they would maybe have to pay less or they would get like benefits because I don't like the state interfering with personal affairs. But there is a role for personal responsibility when the state takes care of your health or your costs. There is a part of personal responsibility when you're going to eat chicken nuggets five days a week and you have more difficulty recovering from a disease or have a heart disease. There's a little bit of responsibility on your part, right? Yeah, personally, I'm a libertarian, so I wouldn't want the government in intervening at all. The point is that they are intervening with the masks, social distancing, the lockdown, but they're not intervening with the things that actually do matter. So it's easy to see that this is all for a, a tool to use for a greater agenda. It's not hard to see that. But you know, people don't really realize the severity of what's going on. Freedom of speech being limited, freedom of protest, freedom of assembly, freedom of the body. Yeah. These are is that, essential is that freedoms. connected with the yeah. virus? <laughs> this is what I, I try to ask people. Like, okay, the virus makes you wear a mask and social distance, but what about the, the freedom of speech, the freedom of protest? Like, is that about the virus? And this is, again, a language perversion and inversion, right? Social distancing. Oh, you mean asocial positioning? <laughs> <laughs> this is the funny thing is that they sit in think tanks to come up with this stuff. So as soon as you start hearing, it's the new normal. These people have calculated the language mm -hmm. to go into your brain and program you. They started talking about the new normal before there even was a, a big change. It was, oh, this is the new normal, the new normal, the new normal, social distancing, like these literal words they're repetitiously forcing into our brains so that it's on our consciousness. And this is where the perception shift is, is like, this is the conversation that everybody's having. If you don't talk about those things and you don't know about it, your perception is totally different. They're changing and social engineering the future for what they want the outcome to be through these words, because words are a vibration and words actually affect matter. So I was talking about your thoughts and your feelings. They affect matter. It happens even on a higher level when you verbalize them. 
So when yeah, start- it, it, it's also like Black Lives Matter. Yeah, okay. I, I'm going to start a movement. Poverty is bad. That's my movement. Poverty is bad, you know? And right. then when I smash the windows or I want to destroy the nuclear family or whatever, you know, like, don't you think poverty is bad? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a psychology to get people like, it's a no-win situation. You're destroying the black community further. And anybody that's trying to tell you and help you who understands psychology and understands that that's a bad direction to go when they speak out about it, they're a racist, a bigot. And the, the funniest thing is I kind of like the position that I'm in because when Black Lives Matter was coming and You're out, married to a black woman, right? Exactly. So I like... <laughs> just as like a disclaimer. Just, yeah, it's just funny to me because even if I wasn't married to a black person, I would be full on speaking out against it. The, the crazy thing is, is like I get attacked as a racist, but it's just humorous to me because... People attack me as a racist, and then I was like, and I just respond like, "Oh, you don't, you haven't looked at my family." And then they, uh, well, you could still be a racist. And then if a black person doesn't believe what, so I'll give you an example. This lady was telling me how oppressed and how black people have been treated, and blah 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 blah. And granted, everybody, in my opinion, gets treated you know, pretty bad at some point in their life, right? Mm -hmm. We don't talk about how bad fat people are treated or how Mm -hmm. bad ugly people are treated, right? It's like, well, that's different. It's not their color. It's like, well, no, like kids who grow up who are overweight get brutally beat on in school verbally and actually physically. Try to be a virgin like me until I'm 24. Oh, yeah, there you go. You get, I'm sure you get ripped on. So we all have, you know, Everybody wants to cry about something. I'm too fat, too skinny. I'm too tall. I haven't, wasn't loved enough. I was loved too much. Like we're a spectrum. And that's the beauty of life. In my opinion, the people that we respect the most came from the lowest of the lows Mm -hmm. because they crawled out of that position. Why would we want to make everybody equal? And as Thomas Sowell says, you can't get equality in your own household. How are you going to get equality? The firstborn of every child of every household is smarter. They have a higher IQ. They fare better in society. So you can't get equality in a household. How are you going to try to make equality? And the Black Lives Matter movement, all it does is destroy and create victim mentality. And victim mentality, if you look at one reference I always like to tell people about is David Hawking's David Hawking's work Mm -hmm. on the scale of consciousness, because it relates to what I'm speaking about is your, your words and your energy and your thoughts actually manifest into reality. And so he has a scale of consciousness Mm -hmm. that you can actually test. And so guilt, shame, anger, victim mindset, all that stuff is very low, low vibration, whereas love, peace, happiness, et cetera, is all courage is where you break through the negative, right? So that's why we love people who have the courage to stand up to the oppressors. And we say, wow, because they're actually taking that step and they're, they're getting self-sovereignty and saying, I'm not standing for this anymore. And they break through that negative mold. And Black Lives Matter is, is focusing on 
what's wrong. And the perception is if you focus on what's wrong, anti-matter, you're going to get more of it. Exactly. And so if you focused on, Hey, you're a powerful being. If you learn a skill that is valuable to society, people will pay you and you have a unique ability to add a specific skill. You were manufactured. Your DNA is designed to add value to this world. Find out what that is become very good at it and people will give you and pay you anything. Yeah, right? I, have, I have a quote that says, if all you see is the enemy, you become the enemy. And if all you do is preach that the other person is the enemy, they will often manifest what you don't want them to be. And then suddenly yeah. it's there. It's like, see, it's the same exactly. thing. Like you have this meme where they say like, hey, who radicalized you? And then the next picture you see him like whispering in his ear, you. <laughs> exactly. And the funny thing is, Law enforcement, military, and government have that perception that you, like, they almost have to have that perception as you are the enemy. I mean, think about it. The IRS, right? What's their goal? It's to get as much money from you as possible. So what are people going to do? They're going to try and not give money to the IRS. So Mm -hmm. then the IRS just looks at these people as like, well, they're trying to get over on us. So now they become this oppressive thing. And we were never supposed to pay taxes to begin with in the first place in the U.S. And this is a perception shift that people are like, oh, pay your taxes. Like, no, we're, we're supposed to be sovereign beings. This is also the thing that my questions are about uh, current day feminism, radical feminism, third, fourth wave feminism. It's not pro-women. It's anti-male. Even if exactly. a masculinity, if you see their behavior, they even embody that enraged masculine energy so they become the ones that they blame there's a lot of projection going on that black lives matter instead of being pro-black it's more anti-white and then most white people they hate racism they want to give black people chances but with all this being called a racist and constantly always pointing at their skin which for the stance that they have without listening to their story which is a racist stance in the first place in the end, you're like, they're so sick and tired of it that maybe they become less tolerant or less willing to listen to them because they're sick and tired of being blamed. If you're right. in a relationship where the other person is always going to say like, you do this wrong and it's this and you're a man and you're a terrible partner, you're a terrible husband, you're a terrible... Are you going to stay in that relationship and marriage yeah, when, exactly. when, when that's all that you hear and it's not a collaboration or mutual responsibility? It comes down to personal responsibility. There are people who are racist. There are people mm-hmm. that will always be racist. It's just how it is. It's, it's how it's going to be. It'll never change. So the only thing that people can change is themselves. So whether you're projecting on a male that masculinity is, is toxic or that there's racism and then that's the reason why your life is the way it is, well, you can actually shift that perception, right? And take full personal responsibility. I am where I am today because of my thoughts, my feelings, my actions. I am the sum total of all the environment, the feelings, the actions that I have been around. And I have the ability to change it. Okay. I grew up in the ghetto. I grew up around people who had a poor level of thinking. Maybe, maybe that's the problem. And maybe I need to change the way I see the world and think about it. And maybe it's not the white person that's keeping me down. Maybe it's the community and my environment that's keeping me down. And ultimately, it's me that's keeping me down. There's very few people that like to be told the truth. 
Mm-hmm. And when they're told the truth, they have that emotional trigger. And that emotional trigger causes them to lash out with anger. Some people will break through that and be free of that. And the sad part is in the black community, a lot of t- times those people are torn down, down and they're called Uncle Tom's. They're called whatever. Yeah. If they, you know, and uh, but mass the the feminine masculine thing, I also think is being engineered through chemicals. I think Mm -hmm. there's propaganda, but I also think that they're affecting our hormones through food and through a lot of other things. And we know this because men's testosterone levels have gone down dramatically. Yeah, we, 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 we noticed this a lot in the sperm count. I think it was a Sweden study or whatever, and it declined like massively. So I see that there's being like an anti-human agenda. Anything that makes us human, like masculine and feminine, it's like one of the most important traits in nature. But yeah, we humans stand above that. Then the beauty of nations, the beauty of color, like I'm not a racist, I see the beauty in every color, every nation, every tradition, those values, they make the earth flourish. But how how are humans being portrayed right now? When I'm against pollution, we could change a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. As parasites, as infecting each other, right. not as fellow human beings that we can learn from each other and we can take care of Earth. Suddenly, it becomes like you're a CO2 polluting person. So they took something from <laughs> cars are bad and are polluting, and we could reduce wastage to yeah. everything that we do pollutes the planet, and we have to measure, track it, and you have to pay because you're killing the planet. So yeah. that's again how a useful virtue was used and is being used. And you're going to hear this a lot the coming ten years to almost look at humanity and as a person as something that is a scorch of the planet, you know? That thing is socially engineered, in my opinion. Again, the global warming, right? It it was global warming, and then they had to change it (laughs) to climate change. And guess what? The climate always changes. It will always change, just like there will always be racism. You can never eradicate it. You can't eradicate global change. So it's like... Yeah, let's get rid of racism. It's like, let's get in reality that there will always be racism. It's how the mind works. And you can't, this is something that's very important for people to understand. And if somebody is racist, that's their personal choice. And their personal choice might be based on experience. And discounting their experience means we're discounting that person. So if somebody... For example, in New York, they say, oh, you can't get a cab in New York if you're black. It's racism. Well, maybe, and this is actually something I've had a conversation with about, that every time a cab driver, or maybe eight times out of 10, they pick up a black person, that they end up going to a bad neighborhood. Maybe they get stiffed. They don't get a tip. And what is it the experience and social conditioning that they've had? Or is it that they were just racist? A business person is going to protect their business. So if they realize like, hey, if I pick up this person, nine times out of 10, I get a great tip. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go to this place. That's what people don't want to look at. Right? So this is how the brain works. It encounters a situation. It checks it off, good or bad. And so if you have an encounter with someone who looks a certain way, and every four, like four times in a row, it's been bad. The brain automatically says, wait, 
this is might be dangerous and it's not necessarily racism it's just your brain automatically doing what they call you know the unconscious bias which they're trying to like yeah <laughs> it would be the same to- thing to put it in a very politically correct way because uh it works on all sides it would be like when a black woman is going to date uh, a white guy and she dates like 10 white guys and it always sucks you know she doesn't have a good experience just because of those experiences that she has she will be less likely to then date another white guy because like every time i date a white guy it's just not the right fit is she inherently racist that's just a personal experience that she had the repetitions. Doesn't mean that there are no good white guys, but she would be less inclined because in her repeated personal experience, that just didn't turn out how she wanted to. So in a way, we want to predict reality based on our experiences. So, so then she's going to make a choice based on the personal evidence or perspective that she has gathered. Absolutely. So racism can be looked at from, okay, ignorance, right? That's one platform. We're scared of what we don't know and what's different from us. So some people might just be taught that they might be taught racism. Another person actually might learn it from experience. So we're not talking about those two things. It's just like, you're racist and that's it. It's like, well, why is that happening? Like all there is in life is there's stimulants and then there's a response, stimulus and response. Yeah. I just don't like certain taboos. So what you notice, because that's a strange thing that they try to look at Western values or male or or cultural things. And you see the power of cultural things. But for instance, you see the attack on gay people or how women are being traded or rape numbers that in certain North African Muslim cultures, that there it's much more prevalent. But when they see that happening, you can't say that because that's a taboo. But you see that the values... Not it's not like a B reaction, but it influences it. So it should be part of the discussion, not the only discussion, part of the discussion. You right. see some women manipulating rape claims, you know, besides men also being sexist, like I'm not denying one or the other. So it mm-hmm. also should be taken into account. But there are certain things that are just a taboo, even if in reality, people have personal justifying reasons to have that stance. Mm-hmm. but they can't voice it because if they do, they're a sexist, they're a racist, they're like a bigot. And that's what I don't like. And if the same thing yeah. would happen, white people would be raping a lot of African women or Muslim women. I would say the exact same thing, like just right. the same principle. It clearly has an influence. Let's take a look like what's going on here because we want to look at all the vectors to have the best constructive solution from different angles. But right. it's often only like that identity politics angle and only one side deserves to be listened to. And that creates a lot of resentment and anger, feeding again the situation mm-hmm. that they're trying to avoid, but actually feeding it by not listening to people. And that's one of the biggest needs people have. They want to feel understood. And when you can't even speak your opinion, yeah. your own personal experience, even though you don't mean it in a bad way, but you lived it, that creates a lot of bitterness and resentment in people, and that builds up. Absolutely, because you can't speak freely and be truthful to yourself. And identity politics is, in, in my opinion, we talked a little bit about spirituality before we got on here. And I, my opinion is that being in a high level of spirituality or connection with God or universe or nature means connection. It means togetherness. Identity politics purposefully creates separation, separation between people, between cultures, between ideas and 
it takes us further away from ourselves. So we see social distancing, we see more identity politics, we see a mask over your face, so you can't speak your your mind, right? It's These are subconscious triggers that people are openly accepting without really thinking of the greater consequences. Yeah, and, and, and even if they don't approve by repeating the behavior, they condone it. Also talked about the fact that a granddaughter put a turkey inside an oven and she always cut off the 25% of the head, 25% of the back, and she kept on doing this. And then her child says like, why are you doing this? Well, because my mom did it. And then, you know, her mom asked her grandma, like, why are you doing this, you know? And right. then the grandma told like, yeah, I did it because I had a small stove. But the people who do it, <laughs> they don't know anymore where it comes from, what the reason was, you know, and that was yeah. because of a small stove. It, it, it's just the norm right now. So that is the advantage of people that they quickly adapt to circumstances. But that's also the danger that this new generation of relating, of going through things can just say like, yeah, that's just the norm and that's okay. That's just the way it is. That's the way we've always done things and you do it that way without questioning it. And that's what happens. And we spoke again. I, I don't remember. I, I got to think back to the specific study, but they did that study on monkeys where they put monkeys in a cage. They put a ladder and on top of the ladder was some candies or bananas or something to that effect. And when a monkey would go up the ladder, they'd spray him and all the other monkeys with water. So they punished the person, the people who were not actually doing the thing. So the people who got punished got mad at whoever ran up the ladder. And eventually they would, a beating would ensue on any animal that ran up the ladder. And soon enough, they took the, the food away. So the new monkey, always the new monkey would come and run right up the ladder. They get sprayed on. And then they beat the monkey up to try to stop him from doing that because they they didn't it was irritating to them. Eventually, any new monkey that would come along with the ladder removed and the food removed would get beat on. So this group of monkeys that they had replaced slowly had no idea why they were doing what they were doing, and they just saw over a few generations of exchanging the monkeys out that they created a culture of beating the new monkey because of something completely separate of what and why they were doing it. And so we're seeing that now, and that's how social engineering is created. If you're born and everybody's wearing a mask, right? And then the next generation comes and everybody's wearing, like that's how you can do it. Yeah, it's almost like B.F. Skinner with the rats experiments, the behavioral uh, way of psychology where you gave like shocks to rats to prevent them from doing things. By the way, Rat Park is a very interesting experiment that they saw like, hey, these rats are dependent on heroin, but it was a depressing environment. And when they changed the environment, they suddenly weren't so prone to take heroin. But now there's more and more self-censorship right, yeah. of, oh, you filter yourself before you say anything or you post something and it's fact-checked. Or in the future, when you're going to post something, they will say like, you are going to post racist content. or sex. Even though if you don't mean it that way, or you had a personal experience, again, here, it's not only the social censorship, but those algorithms will decide for you what to think and what to say and what is allowed yeah. to be voiced. That's scary stuff. I'm a bit interested in your story because you're also into uh, pain relief, back pain. 
Tell me a bit about your story, about what you learned about traditional medicine and hospitals and belief and healing pain. How did you get the insights of doing this for more than a decade right now? And where, where did you see that your belief and other healing hacks could also be an option to heal your body? I'll try to make a long story short because, man, I've, I've been through the ringer in terms of it's helped a lot. Like, so I, I've, I've been able to write this book because I've, at a young age, I broke a piece of my back playing basketball. I fell on my back. I just expected I was doomed for the rest of my life to have this back pain that I was going to have these reoccurring back issues. And uh, I got into health and fitness. I connected with somebody. I'd already been working on like helping and healing the back for my clients and myself. And then I came across a buddy of mine, a trainer who I hired at a place up in New York City when I was a fitness manager. He had extensive knowledge coming from Serbia and he had learned from one of the best, one of the best sports facilities in the world, uh, University of Belgrade and learned from PhDs. And we took our knowledge and combined and created this program called Back Pain Relief for Life. And that made me realize that I had the ability and the whole goal of our program is to teach people how to heal their back on their own. So they're not dependent on things like chiropractor medication, et cetera. And when I realized that I was my own medication, that opened things up for me. It opened up my mind that I thought I just had to, I thought I was doomed and I needed other people to fix me. And when I learned I could fix myself, it gave me, it empowered me. So later on down the road, I got extremely sick. I thought I was invincible. I ran a race while I was sick. I got even more sick. I got walking pneumonia. I went to the doctors. At this time in my life, I thought the doctors were trying to help me and they were trying to heal me. And I found out the opposite was true. They gave me one of the most powerful antibiotics that wasn't even approved for the market was called Avalox, which is a fluoroquinolone, which everybody and anybody should stay away from unless you're dying and you're on your deathbed and you need to take it. Um, they give Cipro out like candy at the hospitals, but this one was called Avalox. It took me years to figure out that that was the beginning of the change of my life. I had a lot of underlying other issues going on. I had amalgam fillings. My whole fat mouth was filled up with mercury, which you should never, ever have metal like mercury in your body, especially in your mouth. So I was mercury toxic. I'd been training and working very hard. I had been uh, in sympathetic nervous system drive for probably a very long time. Then I ran the race. So I'm, my immune system was compromised. Then I took this antibiotic. It's possible that I had Lyme's disease because I grew up in Connecticut, was bit by ticks. Mm -hmm. And the antibiotics just was the straw that broke the camel's back and my life spun out of control. I almost died. I literally became a different person. My face started changing. My hormones started changing. Like everything changed. Like I was locked on strong mentally and physically to being like operating at five to 10% of what I was previously capable of. And I realized that the medical community couldn't do anything to help me. And that they not only didn't, couldn't do anything to help me, they made things worse. And they would take blood tests and they would say things like, I want a nurse. This is when I was like at a bottom trying to figure out what was going on. And the nurse said, whoa, I wish I had your blood. You, you have amazing blood tests. And I was feeling like death, like the worst. And I was like, 
all right, I need to figure something else out and do something different. And I got connected through this guy who was in Hong Kong, who wasn't even a doctor. He was like ex-personal trainer that got into holistic healing. And I sent him my hair sample all the way to Hong Kong. And in three months, he got me better results than I'd gotten for years with the medical community. And that's when it really like, so it was all these things, but that's when it really clicked. Like, wait a second, what, what is going on? And the first thing he said was how many amalgam fillings do you have? And when I told him I had like eight or nine, however much it was, he was like, whoa, oh my God, you, your mouth is filled with that much. No wonder you're having problems. So these amalgam fillings were put in by dentists. And when you start to go deep down the rabbit hole, you understand that the powers that be know that mercury should never be anywhere near your body, let alone put in your mouth. Isn't that also vaccines? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you'll hear people say like, oh, they took out the mercury, but it's still, it's still actually in some of the flu shots. You know, I had this premonition years ago about what the plan was, and I never verbalized it. And this is where I have to like just speak my truth because mm -hmm. people thought I was crazy already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, but when I would tell people who were kind of on the same wavelength as me, they'd be like, oh my God, you're right. And now we have real doctors speaking about it. And I actually want to make a movie about this. The fact that they're injecting people with lots of heavy metals, mm -hmm. they're putting it in their mouth. It's in more of the food. They're spraying it in our air that we are walking antennas. We were antennas. We, we are antennas, receivers and receptors. And guess what conducts electricity even more? Heavy metals. Well, guess what? If you have mm -hmm. a lot of heavy metals in your body, What can they use to control you as an antenna? Electromagnetic frequency. So the more heavy metals that everybody has in their body, can they use 5G or these other, you know, they even have satellites they can hit us with. They can control people's thoughts, feelings, reactions. This is proven. Like when you people, you, 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 these are the things that like people are like, oh, he's crazy. Like, no, this is in the books in the 1970s that they can use electromagnetic frequencies to make people feel depressed, to make people feel anxious, to actually have them pee themselves, right? So now imagine they could do that without all the heavy metals, right? Now everybody's walking around loaded with nano aluminum because they're spraying that up in the air or from the vaccines. And now your body and your pineal gland, which is literally like the antenna and the connection to your source is now calcified or loaded with aluminum or whatever it might be. And now they can just take frequencies and, you know. Yeah. Like what you're saying. And uh, as I said, that's what I love about my podcast, that it's just thought provoking perspectives and i'm i'm spiritual maybe not the most spiritual person but when you go to spirituality what is it, it it's consciousness and it is energy Absolutely. and what is energy energy is vibration is frequency this is not woo, woo stuff you can look this up like even scientists agree this even when you look at quantum physics what does what does it go back to it goes back to vibrations frequency And yep. that your perception determines what you see pop up in your reality. So I'm linking it with science that we actually have seen. So 
the internet is also just one zero one zero frequencies. Wi-Fi is also the same thing. Satellites, it's also the same thing. Mm-hmm. So to go from that to say something that interferes with vibrations, frequencies, putting things in our body that sends out signals, whether you're very spiritual, not spiritual, you can see that there could at least be a link because it plays with vibrations, frequencies, and there's more and more electromagnetic fields being created with all these satellites, maybe in the future technology in our body, nanobots connecting to the cloud. They sell it as something like it will enhance your health. But what is connection, human connection, like being on the same frequency, feeling the vibration? Yep. So you yeah, can't and, say and that our, that's been enhancing the last 10 or 20 or 30 years, I feel, with the rise of technology and more and more surveillance. I don't feel that people are opening up their heart, connecting to nature, being embodied. It's almost like they're more and more in the hive and in the matrix and disconnected. Yeah. The good news is that it usually takes the swing you know, from one side to the other. You know, As we see, like for example, Poland, is now fining people, fining these big tech companies if they censor them because they've already they've already experienced communism and fascism. Mm-hmm. So it's like sometimes you need to experience the pain to swing to the other side. And I believe we have a lot of people going back to nature or wanting to go back to nature because of what they're seeing happening in reality now. You know, like the the overconsumption of just crap that we don't need the technology, the social media, et cetera. There is perfection in all of this. It's just a lot of times there's a lot of collateral damage, I think, whereas it doesn't need to be that way. So in the U.S., the founders created the whole constitution because mm-hmm. they knew the potential. Of tyranny, right? Yeah. yeah, but yet it's happening again. And people are just like, oh, yeah, nothing weird's going on here. It's like, yes, it is wake up. We created the constitution specifically for this time that's happening. It's like, no, no, it's the virus. It's like, oh my God, it's, it, it's mind blowing to me. It really is. And I, I have to like become more spiritual because I can only can control mm. my thoughts, my feelings, my actions. I can't control everybody else. The crazy part is, is that luckily I'm, I'm educated to the point where I can see the programming. And I just have to realize that these people are programmed and that they are being controlled. They don't even know they're being controlled and they're being controlled by this force, which is the media, the globalists, and hopefully they will wake up. And I've seen more people wake up this year than ever. I've posted tons of (laughs) stuff for the last 10 years and people I think would just unfriend me delete me. (laughs) Now people are commenting and they're saying things and they're saying, yes, this is like, and then people that would like bash me in comments have turned the tide and they realize like, whoa, maybe you're right. And then they, some people have even said, Hey, you know, I, I wasn't awake then I wasn't aware. So it's coming and people are waking up. And I think people like you and me are helping we're part of the wake-up process. Yeah, gatekeepers, right? Not gatekeepers to say like, hey, this is the gated community and this is like heaven, but it's like, hey, just check out this community, what's in this gate and open some other gates and make up your own mind, but see different perspectives. And if you don't agree, that's fine, but maybe look a bit where I'm coming from, see if it makes sense instead of just closing the gate and say like, oh my God. 
that's right. the ghetto of thoughts. That's the, that's the ghetto exactly. of misinformation, you know? Yeah. I think that's what we're missing a lot is trying to understand each other. And I, I do it all the time now because I have to realize and check myself because sometimes I see people on the opposite side who are just completely brainwashed. And I'm like, I don't even want to talk to them. I don't even want to be around them. And there is a lot of truth to that, though, because this is what's the separation. It creates chaos. And it's you are who you hang around. And if you hang around people who are conscious and awake and aware it's, it's just a different vibe. It's like, I don't want to hang around people who are obsessed with wearing masks and mm-hmm. social distancing and in mm-hmm. fear and because it's going to affect me. Mm-hmm. And we know this from studies too. You know, I talked about David Hawkins. If you're a level 10 person and you walk into a room of level ones, you actually elevate the ones and you come down because there's that balance. You know, if I'm a level seven person and I hang around tens, Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to come up a little bit. And so I try to hang out with people who I aspire to be like, and I don't aspire to be a brainwashed bot that's in fear. And so it's trying to understand these people, but keeping myself at a distance. If people want to find out more about everything that you do, uh, Wim Hof breathing, the uh, back pain relief, and all the other coaching that you do, where can they find out more about uh, you? So back pain relief for life with the number four, backpainreliefforlife.com is where I have my back pain program. So anybody suffering from back pain, and and honestly, like it's a program that anybody can use for core strengthening, hip mobility, So it just helps the entire body because when you help the back, you're actually helping the whole spine, the brain, everything. Unfortunately, people don't take preemptive action. (laughs) They only take action when there's pain. And then healinghacks.net is another place where you can buy my book. And then I'm, you know, uh, I have BufordPersonalTraining.com and uh, EarthFitTraining.com. Those are just my fitness business websites. What would be your last rant to people who almost feel a bit hopeless and want to focus on personal responsibility, but they feel that more and more aspects of their life are being decided by global institutions or by the government and being tracked and traced and they feel like it's a useless battle. I have to give up more of my personal sovereignty. What will you say to those people? You know, we're great deceivers of self. And I would say just become 100% honest with self and try to do that through inventory of yourself as to where you are, who are you angry at, who are you resentful at, master the self. Because when you master yourself, you can't have emotional pain like you see these people get triggered. You know, when people get triggered, it's basically a wound that hasn't been healed. And so the first thing that we can always do is heal ourselves. And that's what Healing Hacks is about, is like, first... We have these open wounds that we try to block and cover up, but it's not, the protection is not really working. So we actually need to heal it. And you can't affect anything else out in the world until you've healed yourself first. And these people are damaged and they're trying to impact massive structure systems like politics. Mm -hmm. And they haven't even healed themselves yet. They haven't done the work, the inner work for themselves. And Jordan Peterson, you hear talk about clean your room first. It's, a, it's the same kind of analogy. It's like heal yourself, understand your flaws, understand your, your problems, 
fix them and then you can go on to bigger and greater things. That's my last rant. It's challenging. It's a daily thing for me. And like, I can step out of that person and start to like, you know, project my issues on somebody else. I have support systems that tell me like, Hey, you're, you're bullshitting. Or I'll say to myself, like, Oh, it's complete BS. And I have to recheck myself. The only thing that I've seen work is take full personal responsibility of the things you control. Once you're able to get that locked in and your life is good from that perspective, only then can you expand out to greater things. That's it, man. Back pain relief. Also have your back, support your back, and then you can back it up with also bringing your powerful message to other people besides yourself. Thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a comment. And if you're a coach or consultant and you want to scale your online business or maximize your productivity, check out the show notes to find out more about Philip and his coaching programs. Rent over.